Shalom and welcome everyone to the ICEJ weekly webinar. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, welcoming you to today's program. And uh, we've got a very good topic, a very hot topic right now, and a very excellent guest to discuss it. I just want to say before we start that uh, this Friday, is International Holocaust Remembrance Day established by the United Nations and European Union uh, that at least once a year they stop and remember the great tragedy of the Holocaust. And of course, because of our partnership with uh, Yad Vashem, because of our work with Holocaust survivors in Haifa, we just want to encourage everyone uh, on Friday to uh, take a moment, say a prayer, remember all the victims and the heroes of the Holocaust and, and uh, really consider what you can do to help those who survived it, the Jews who survived it, uh, that we're helping here in Israel. But uh, let's get to our hot current affairs topic on this week's show. It is, uh, does Israel really need judicial reforms. Now, if you've been following the news here lately, you know that uh, Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has just returned to power after another close election. He got a very uh, uh, surprisingly comfortable uh, support of uh, 64 Knesset seats. They're forming a government. They've started uh, uh, rolling in a whole series of bills to solidify their position, including a, a number of, of laws, proposals for judicial reforms that are running into a lot of pushback from the opposition and from the left. And uh, it's been very uh, sort of shocking to see how fast this whole debate uh, escalated and today um, we're going to talk to Caleb Myers, an Israeli attorney, uh, about this. And Caleb, um, he is a partner in Yehuda Rave, one of the prominent uh, law firms, uh, one of the legacy firms here in Israel. Uh, he is the founder of the Jerusalem Institute of Justice, a, a, a public uh, service uh, law center here that helps uh, provide services for those who can't afford it, and uh, often dealing with public policy needs, freedom of religion, uh, and such. And uh, he was also a member of an international association of Jewish lawyers and justice justices. He was uh, at one point deputy president of that organization, still a member of its board of trustees. So we're so glad to have you, Caleb. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's, it's a pleasure being with you. And uh, thank you for your words at the beginning of this conversation about the importance of remembering uh, Holocaust, the International Holocaust Memorial Day. Thank you for everything the International Christian Embassy is doing to, um, to continue the, the memory of the Holocaust and, um, and also to continue connecting Christians from around the world to Israel and to significant causes like caring for Holocaust survivors. Yeah, so, so thank you for that. It's an honor to be with you today. Before we, we get too, too deep in the weeds here, let me first say congratulations on your daughter's uh, engagement. Uh, we've seen some photos floating around, and uh, that's uh, excellent. My son, of course, went to school with your daughter and, yes. uh, and Noam, and uh, uh, congratulations as a father on that. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The most important thing is that we love uh, her choice. Her fiance, Matias, is a wonderful young man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, it's a great blessing just as a father uh, to, you know, when, when good people come to the life of, of, of your children. So we're very, very thankful. Yeah. As we say in the old South, he's a good egg. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, Netanyahu, the new government, they take power. They quickly propose a series of judicial for reforms that really has alarmed the left. And it's gotten to the point where even some uh, high-tech execs, uh, executives here in the land and, and some of these big global high-tech companies, their R&D centers here, are saying it's going to hurt investment in Israel, the, the, the judiciary changing so much, the courts. and and uh, But please uh, give us uh, a, a sort of overview of uh, how we got here, and then we'll sort of get into some of the details about uh, why this is important and uh, how it came about. Yes. So first of all, I think it's important just to, to at, at a, let's say, um, 30,000 foot or meter uh, view, whatever uh, would be your preference, um, just to step back and, and recognize that the state of Israel is a liberal Western democracy um, by, by any by any you know reasonable um, basis or, or measurement. Um, and within our democracy, we have a heated uh, and very polarized political situation. Um, it's different than the situation in the United States and other Western countries, which are also becoming much more polarized. You know, you originally being an American, David, I was asking you five questions. You know, uh, what, what's your opinion on the right to carry guns, on, on uh, tax, tax reform, on the size of government, on the, the right to life and abortion, and let's say immigration? I would know very quickly which side of the map you belong to. That's becoming very, very polarized. And it's, 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 it's a true disagreements over policy that have over top of that a, an, an emotional aspect to it, which seems to be growing because of, because of social network and the way things are, can sometimes be blown out of proportion uh, in, in today's uh, digital discourse, particularly. In Israel, it's, it's interesting because 80% of the Israeli public agrees on everything when it comes to policy. There is no big polarization of policy. Um, and uh, however, there, there is a polarization emotionally. And that, that, that comes down to why, because I guess Jewish people have to fight over something, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have, you know, you have, uh, you know, you have three rabbis and twelve opinions. Is, is you know, the the old joke. So, so what, politically, what everybody's fighting over today is yes, Bibi or no Bibi, and and uh, you know, should he be our prime minister or not? But within the the anti Bibi camp, we have right and left, right? So it's still eighty percent of us agree on everything, and the question is who should be leading our country? You know, should it be Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu or not? And you, and so that that's really the issue now. What does 80% agree on regarding our conversation today? That we need legal reform. The last government, which is the anti-Bibi group, right, which was led by Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, everything they're saying that they need to do with these reforms in, in the justice uh, um, system in Israel was something that Naftali Bennett said all the time. That you know, if he has the chance, if, you know, if you ask him, he wasn't able to be in power for long enough. But if he had the chance, this is what he was going to do. So, but it's it's now, of course, being blown out of proportion, in my opinion. Uh, by the anti-BB camp, uh, and and you know what complicates matters is our prime minister does have uh, he is sitting under a trial for several criminal indictments now, like in Israel, like any other country, you're innocent until proven guilty. 
um, but he's, he's in that trial now. And so the concern in the anti-baby camp is somehow they're going to leverage these, you know, legal reforms within our system to help BB uh, avoid, you know, justice, uh, which, which I think is inaccurate if you really go down. And I hope we will have a chance here to actually look at what they're saying needs to be done in our uh, legal system. Um, none of it would, would directly affect uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's case. So I, I, don't, I don't find that valid. And let me just speak into the issue of are we going to lose business and lose investments in high-tech companies because of these legal reforms? I think that that's a ridiculous claim. I think absolutely not. Uh, you know, Netanyahu has said there are three reasons that every country today wants to do business with Israel, technology, technology, technology. And it has nothing to do. I just came back from a trip, David, to, um, to Bahrain, uh, the UAE, uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. These are countries that are not democratic, right? They're, they're, they're kingdoms. Uh, and they're authoritarian, authoritarian. Everybody wants to do business with them. All Western countries want to do business with them. You can go down and see all the Western construction companies that are building buildings in Dubai and, and, and building infrastructure. And it, I don't think that the world is looking with, with a magnifying glass on what's happening within the Israeli legal system saying, oh no, I'm not going to invest money you know, if these reforms come through. I think that's something that the anti-BB camp is, is saying or as, uh, you know, because they're trying to come up with some kind of, you know, threat. But to me, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's, you're saying uh, there's basic agreement that 80% uh, say there are some judicial reforms yes. needed, but maybe Bibi and, uh, and Arya Derry of Shas, maybe they're not the right ones to be doing it because okay. they've got these criminal charges against them. That's right. I think that's the big fear. Um, but why Why does 80% of our country, in in my opinion, right, uh, based on what I've seen and, you know, over, over the last several decades, believe that we do need legal reform? The biggest issue is that we don't have a, a constitution. Um, and uh, the our, our Declaration of Independence, it says that, the first, you know, a Knesset would be formed and, and they would create a constitution uh, and then create laws. But our, our first Knesset decided instead of creating a constitution, they would start creating what we call basic laws, which are laws that um, that your, your normal non-constitutional laws cannot breach. You have to create laws based on those basic laws. And, and slowly but surely, and then they said eventually, after they create all these basic laws, they will come together and each basic law will be a different clause in the constitution, okay? And so they created these basic laws. Until today, there are 13 basic laws. However, they never decided, it's never been explicitly stated how, if or how the Supreme Court could strike down normal laws based on basic laws. So, so the Supreme Court itself decided, very famous case by uh, uh, Chief Justice Aaron Barak, 1992, that it, it decided about itself that it has the right to cancel laws based on the basic law. The Knesset never decided that. It never went to you know, a public discourse. These were the Supreme Court justices themselves that were basically giving themselves power. And now Esther Hayut, who's you know the, the current Supreme Court justice in uh, 2021 in another case, said that the Supreme Court could actually strike down new basic laws. <laughs> so basically what they're saying is we are the last word on everything legal and everything legislative in Israel. And and that is not a normal situation where you're- a They're unelected, that, that's part of the problem. They haven't been elected. Yeah, we can talk about how the judges are chosen. They're chosen by professional committees. And now they have the right not only to strike down laws, but to strike down basic laws, which 
are kind of like our constitution and and the political system is saying, well, who gave you that right or that power? And how can you declare about yourself that you have this power? So, so we all know that we have to decide what the correct process is for um, striking down laws based on the basic laws, which will eventually become the constitution. How can the Supreme Court do it? To what extent can it do it? Is, is their word final or is there going to be an override clause, which is something they're discussing right now, but, but everybody understands you, you can't just, this can't just be a, a, a court giving itself power, you know, kind of ultimate power over our whole, our whole system, um, which, which would definitely, it, it's definitely a lack of balance in, in, in the, in the separation of powers or the balance of powers within democratic systems. So that's, that's, that's a very key issue that I think everybody agrees on. Yeah. You know, I, I think 1992, uh, some of these uh, legal decisions that you're talking about were sort of a tipping point that started upsetting the right about the court overreaching and, and yes. uh, uh, taking to itself powers that isn't expressly given. But I want to go back to 48 and this decision not to have a, a, a constitution, a rich, written document to set out checks and balances like uh, the United States, like so many other uh, countries. Uh, I, I don't know if you call it a, an urban legend, but the, the common explanation I always heard that the, it was the ultra orthodox who said, no, the Bible is our constitution, the Torah, the books of Moses, we shouldn't have a constitution. But I understand it was actually Ben Gurion himself who uh, uh, didn't want this. There was a very good explanation about it uh, a week ago by Haviv Retig Gur, a reporter, an analyst, senior analyst for the Times of Israel that really set out why he didn't want this. Roosevelt, he saw Roosevelt being tied, uh, his hands being tied by the U.S. Constitution at the time for many yeah. years. So he was going to pack the court and do different things. And he said, we don't need... Uh, ben Gurion said, we don't need some rigid document because we are a progressive society. We're a model socialism and we're going to do things right. And we don't need something really tying our hands. Right. Well, I think I think both are true, David. I, I think that David. Ben so so David Ben-Gurion, who, you know, is is if if if, uh, if I was sitting in uh, one of my other offices, uh, you would see a picture of him behind me on my wall. I mean, I, he's I, somebody that I I have highest respect for. He's been an inspiration in my life in many ways, and and uh, just a great because he's a thought leader, a thinker. He 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 saw and planned for the future, and he and he lived in modesty. And you know, you you look at the at the leaders of the nations around us and the way that their their founders or leaders live in complete opulence when most of their people are in abject poverty. David Ben Gurion was the opposite. You know, he man of the he, people. Right. He's a man of the people. He, you know, he passed away in a small shack down on a kibbutz, as a kib member of a kibbutz in the Negev. I mean, <laughs> well, our, our country enjoyed all the benefits of, 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 of growing wealth and prosperity and everything. However, David Ben-Gurion, he, he was, he famously said, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, he, he, he said, um, it, it doesn't matter what the people ask for. It matters what they need. In other words, I know what everybody needs. <laughs> so that I come with a strong leader. And you're right. He didn't want his hands tied with, with you know, with the Constitution because it might have limited his his power to decide what the people need. Okay. So, uh, but at the same time, I think the ultra religious supported that as well because you know the Israel is a very interesting um, 
it's a very interesting democracy because it was declared as a Jewish and democratic state. And so in most dem democracies, you, you have complete separation of, of, uh, of religion and state. And that, that's kind of part of what, how democracies developed, uh, at, you know, after the French Revolution, the American Revolution, etc. Israel's a little bit different because it's a homeland for Jewish refugees from around the world. And if you you know, if, if you're suffering from anti-Semitism, many in the world, where in the world, there is one country where you can come and, and be sure that you'll never have anti-Semitism for that reason, for that reason, we need to, to maintain a Jewish majority now. And, and, and so there is a little bit of friction between being a democratic state and, and, and a Jewish state and the religious, the religious factions in our, in our Knesset are concerned about that. And if we have a super democratic secular constitution, will that somehow limit the, the Jewish character of the state? Now, in my opinion, it's complete, there isn't a conflict between Jew, being a Jewish and democratic state, because it's like saying that a, a tree is both tall and green. Uh, there are two different ways of measuring this. So democracy is a form of government. Judaism is, is a religious culture, right? So our form of government is democratic for every intent and purpose. For that reason, we should have a constitution, in my opinion. But our religious culture is Jewish. Our national holidays are Jewish. Uh, you know, we we have the Star of David on our flag. In, in our in our um, national anthem, we, we talk about the longing of a Jewish soul for a homeland. I mean, this is our religious culture, right? It's two different things. But however, there, there was concern at that time, and there's still concern today within religious circles that if this be, if we have too much of a secular constitution, that might compromise in some way the, the religious or, or conservative, uh, religiously conservative character of our state. And so I think it was Ben-Gurion and, and the Haredi factions together that decided to kick the can down the road instead of uh, creating a, a constitution. Okay, well, uh, I think you hit the heart of it there with this uh, debate between uh, this tension between a Jewish and a democratic state. I think you gave a good explanation. We're still at the at the founding of Israel, rather than a constitution, you go ahead and you set up a Knesset. It's a parliament with only one body, unicarmel. There's no upper and lower house to right. sort of balance them. Uh, you have, it's sort of, because the British had a mandate, they were sort of based on uh, 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 the British constitutional monarchy, but rather than a queen or king, you have a, a ceremonial head as president, president right. with limited powers, and they just try and keep everyone, uh, try and go for social cohesion and, and really a diverse, lots of tribes in Israel. Uh, and then the judiciary, which, as you said, it sort of started cutting its own rules because uh, uh, there was very little to tell it exactly its limits. But these basic laws, when you say basic law, it was meant to be part of this skeleton of maybe a future constitution. That's right. Yeah. But they require, did they require a, a supermajority to pass and a supermajority to amend in the Knesset? Well, that's one of the that's one of the problematic issues that they require a supermajority to amend, but they were not passed with a supermajority. So they have one, to have at least sixty-one votes to. Yeah. to that's a basic law. To, yeah, of, of yes, a real majority. So it's not you know you have fifty members Definitely. of a certain plenum, and a majority of them can overturn. No, it has to be a real majority, sixty-one votes to 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 change or overcome a, a basic law. Um, and they also they're different than than other laws because they talk about basic 
principles basically right they, they don't go into detail right uh and like like a, a law would and um and and so yes that that is one of the issues that you know they do take a super majority to change but they didn't necessarily take a super majority to create and so that's uh that that is a a challenge within within our within our democracy I'll also say yes we are a parliamentary system one of the one of the other challenges uh david is that in many countries have a, it's very clear you have an executive a legislative and a, and a judicial branch in israel uh normally all of the um ministers of the government are members of knesset they're they're elected as members of knesset now what happens today actually today we have ron dermer who's who's what's called a professional appointment so he's the only one who's you know out of the 30 some ministers is it was not elected to the knesset what we have today is we go according to the the norwegian model which as soon as the government is elected the members of knesset that become uh ministers then resigned from their seat in the Knesset and other people from the list are bumped up right so but they were elected in Knesset elections they're uh you know obviously uh you know accountable to to the political party and the leader of their political parties so there isn't a clear separation between the executive and the legislative like in some in in some countries which means you it's it's like you have instead of three branches of government it's kind of like two or two and a half right so you have a very strong kind of legislative and executive that are mashed together in a way and then you have the judiciary so obviously this this big uh this discourse regarding how much power goes to the legislative slash executive and how much goes to the judiciary it becomes all the more um intense and emotional and you know people feel like it's high stakes because that is kind of the only other branch of government, the, the judiciary, you know, and and what the, the anti-BB camp is saying is what they're just trying to do is is give a disproportionate amount of power to the executive slash legislative. So they'll be able to do basically whatever they want and there, there won't be proper judicial uh, review uh, over them. So that's yeah. Mm -hmm. OK, so in Israel's defense, uh, they may not have a constitution, a lot of western democracies they have constitutions that a new government gets elected and they discard the old one and a, and and pass a new one but but israel does have these basic laws that there you have to go to extra lengths to change it just like the american constitution yes. you need so many states to ratify yes. and 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 israel's system isn't that different than say britain where you have the two houses of in in parliament uh, and out of the House of Commons comes the the government and the prime minister. Yes, and also it's very important to state that Israel has a very strong rule of law. Nobody's above the law in Israel. And mm -hmm. as we're speaking, and as you know, the anti-Bibi camp is is you know out in the streets demonstrating about these uh, judicial reforms and so on and so forth. He's still under trial, and mm -hmm. you know he he appointed Aryeh Derry to two ministerial positions. Plus, you know, made him the basically a deputy prime minister, and that went to court. And our Supreme Court said that uh, that wasn't possible because um, he's somebody that has been uh, that's not just been indicted, but actually um, um, convicted of uh, of criminal of crimes. Uh, it was basically tax evasion and embezzlement, which would uh, prevent him from being a minister. And and so our prime minister. Uh, dismissed him or, or told him he needed to step down and so 
Yeah, yeah, yes. We don't have a perfect, let's say, separation of the three branches of the government. It's a little bit different than the, the than the United States or the or Great Britain. But we have a very we have a very strong role of law and respect of law um, from our senior leaders in Israel. Uh, so we should be thankful for that. Yeah. So it was in 1992 where this the judiciary started becoming more activist and yeah. started to erode away or draw to itself uh, more power. And it had to do with R.A. Derry, where the first time he was uh, convicted of uh, fraud or uh, embezzlement, and uh, he actually was in the uh, government of Itzhak Rabin from labor, from the left, and supporting right. Oslo and all. But he, he got... Uh, uh, he was going to have to step down because he had been, uh, as a minister, because he had been convicted of a crime of moral turpitude, going to have to serve in jail. And the question was, when did Itzhak Rabin have to uh, dismiss him, just like Bibi just dismissed him? And the court intervened and said, you've got to do it now because that's what a reasonable uh, prime minister right. and a Western democracy would do, and the and the court started drawing, looking at other Western democracies and sort of borrowing from their traditions. I mean, declaring laws unconstitutional uh, when you don't have a constitution, or declaring government decisions like when to dismiss dairy as unreasonable. And I think this is was a turning point in this battle from 92 forward. You mentioned another incident from 92. What was that again? Yeah. There, there was a very, uh, um, there, there was a very well-known, um, yeah, so in 1992, there was actually, you know, when I was at law school, David, I, I uh, it was very interesting. Uh, I, you know, I remember learning uh, these decisions by the Supreme Court and actually, Aaron Barak's big kind of uh, manifesto, where he declared that the Supreme Court could strike down laws based on uh, and being unconstitutional, that was he, that was actually uh, in a a case that had nothing to do with those questions. It was <laughs> it was actually a, a banking dispute, <laughs> and the judges got into this discussion between them. All of a sudden, you have you know I forget it was like fifty to hundred pages of, of this decision that then kind of went into the constitutional powers and everything, and it was it it was it, it was very interesting. Um, you know, and and then based on that, in the they, they made a decision regarding dairy that brought in kind of the test of reasonableness. And this is another thing that that uh, they're looking at. And and uh, our Justice Minister Yerib Levine says he wants to cancel uh, the uh, grounds of reasonableness um, because basically, you know, the Supreme Court basically decides that it has the the ability to strike down a law. Um, it then it decides it has the ability to strike down. <laughs> A basic law, but then it says, "Okay, in 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 interpreting this law, we will interpret it based on the most reasonable interpretation, the most reasonable thing that government should have done based on this law." Okay, so but when you have a situation where judges are appointed by the judicial system, so you have a nine person, all judges in Israel are appointed by the same committee, are 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 uh, um. The, the lowest, so our local courts, our district courts, and and uh, the Supreme Court, there are three levels, all of them are appointed by the same nine-person committee, which has two ministers, two members of Knesset, so that's your political representation. Then it has two members of the representatives of the, of the Israel Bar Association, and three judges on the Supreme Court, including the high, the, 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 
the uh, senior uh, uh, justice. So, so basically five out of the nine members of this committee are not politically elected. They're not part of the political system and they're lawyers and judges. So, so basically what people are saying is you, you have, all the judges are appointed by their own colleagues they have this enormous amount of power and they decide what is reasonable or not reasonable based. And so you have a very small part of the, the, the population that, uh, that decides that something the government does is reasonable or not based on their own subjective culture and values and, and everything else. And so it's, it's the system that it kind of, um, um, uh, what, what's the right word? Uh, I'm sorry. The word I'm looking for themselves, uh, they're self regulating, but you, can, you yeah. can't really trust them. Here, you've got unelected officials uh, overriding decision government decisions of elected officials who are answerable to the people, right? Right, right, right. It's a system that's perpetuating itself, basically. Perpetuating, yeah, self perpetuating. You know, I, I'd say that, uh, that that issue of reasonableness to me is, um. <sighs> I don't buy it that that you know removing the grounds of reasonableness will in somehow somehow greatly limit what the courts can do because there are many grounds. There's there are other ground. There's another ground in which we call Hebrew midatiyut, which is like um, it's like proportionality. It's basically a kind of a different way of saying the same thing. But okay, you you as a government leader made this decision based on this law. Was that the the, the most proportional? thing you could have done given the situation you know were you too heavy-handed given all the the tools you could have used by law maybe there was one that would have created less damage or been you know it would have been more proportional but so i say so let's say they get rid of grounds of reasonableness then they'll use grounds of proportionality i mean you know judges are judges are, are, are very very smart people by nature and most of them uh, or they wouldn't be there so so i don't think that i i, I see that more as um you know, arguing arguing over semantics than something that'll have a you know a, a profound effect on on the way our courts make decisions. Honestly, yeah, yeah. It, but you've got this situation now where any citizen and and there's a whole group, a whole lot of you know uh, uh, organizations, movements, whatever that file these petitions. Any citizen can do it, but there's a lot of money behind these groups that monitor right, the government. Right, right. And they can anyone can petition the high court, the yes. top court, top appellate court. There's no more avenue of appeal. You you appeal straight to them. The prime minister just yes. made a bad decision, and and the court decides whether to take it. But they can take a decision and immediately override something the prime minister did based on what it was reasonable. And that right. I think is part of what needs to be fixed here. Yes, I think that you you're hitting on another issue that everybody like I said, this is eighty percent right agrees it needs to be fixed. And you know, so take the United States. Uh, you know, let's say they have some odd, you know, four hundred and, and million odd citizens, something like that. Okay, their Supreme Court in a good year might hear sixty cases. You know, and take the state of Israel with nine million people, and our Supreme Court 
here's thousands of cases a year, sometimes up to 10,000, because they have, everybody has, on, on basic government decisions, everybody has direct access. Now, I, as a civil rights lawyer, have taken advantage of that and appear before the Supreme Court, um, I don't know, 26 times or something like that. But because on issues, you know, say it's an immigration issue, who is a Jew for the purpose of the law of return, these kind of cases I've handled, well, that was a decision that was made by the Ministry of Interior. So boom, you go up to the High Court of Justice, which is basically the Supreme Court sitting as a quasi-constitutional court. But that's one of the things that everybody understands needs to be reformed. Like the Supreme uh, Court shouldn't be hearing that amount of cases. There should be a better filtering system so within our, you know, of, of appeals or, you know, uh, a, you know, may, maybe another level when our district court is sitting as as a court of administrative issues, which are governmental issues, before you go to the Supreme Court, it's obvious to everybody that there's something here that definitely needs needs to change. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the um, the Minister of Justice uh, uh, Levin has proposed. First of all, we're going to make sure the majority of people who sit on this committee that select the judges are from uh, the, the Knesset or, or are appointed by the Knesset so that they can have some uh, accountability to the people through these elected officials. Yeah. Uh, and, and is that a good move? Do you think uh, that, that helps correct some things? I know that Justice Minister Ayala Chaked over recent years, even in the last government, was making sure there were more conservative judges appointed. And we even saw that in the dairy decision that even though they agreed dairy needed to step down, they, the, the conservative judges did it on a, ba a, a separate basis than reasonableness. They thought that was too, uh, you know, a stretch too far. Look, David, I, I immigrated to Israel from the United States. From an American perspective, um, you know, <laughs> You, you know, as in, 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 in counties and in some states, judges are actually um, elected by, by general elections. And our Supreme Court judges, of course, are, uh, you know, chosen by the president and confirmed by the Senate, which is a very, very political process. So, yeah. you know, I, I think the, the disadvantage of the, of the current system is that we all know that everybody has a political view on, on life and on everything. <laughs> And uh, and but when you when you say, well, this is this is this is a professional committee, it's not a political committee, our judges are appointed by professional people, then I don't I'm not sure it's being that's 100% genuine. And I, and I what that does is it undermines when you so when you have a certain amount of uh, when when most of the judges that are appointed end up, you know, coming from the same law school, let's say, or, or coming from a similar, you know, ethnic or or, or religious background. Um, because the, the the judges and the lawyers that appointed them are from that same majority, then then there are sections of our of our population that don't feel comfortable with that because they they feel like well this is a, a little political society which is again self perpetuating and and so I would prefer to to call the 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 child by its name and and say okay there is politics and everything so so let's. I, I don't. So, in other words, I don't think it, it's it's the end of the world that they'll tip the scales a little bit and maybe make it five to four, you know, politically elected people instead of four to five, you know. And so there's more involvement, and people understand. Yes, it is the you know it is affected by politics, and and we're not ashamed of that. And it'll be more similar to the system in the United States. Um, I, so I'm not concerned about that personally. Uh, also, I've seen the way it works in the United States, uh, and um, and I mean you can. 
if, if you're a Democrat, you're not very happy with the recent appointments of uh, President Trump in, in, in the Supreme Court, but it's part of the political system. And you also know that when your party wins, you'll have the same opportunity to do the same thing. So it, it, everybody feels like they're part of the conversation. And if they win in the, in, the, in, the, in the elections, then they will have more effect over those decisions rather than keeping it as this kind of this close, close guild, that, that uh, uh, legal guild that, that um, perpetuates itself. Uh, the lawyer inside of me might think that's a wonderful idea, but the citizen inside of me is yeah, it's kind of scratching my head. I don't know if that's the best <laughs> way to build broad public confidence in, in the system and you know the process. So. The, the political pendulum always swings left yes. and right. It's been swinging much to the right in recent years, especially since the second Intifada and the collapse of Oslo. There are a lot of people more say hawkish, they're more conservative on security and a lot of other issues. Um, yes. But this thing of a Jewish and a democratic state, I, I think it's fair to say that, that a lot of conservative, traditional Jews here who vote for Bibi, who vote for Shas and the religious Zionist parties are in government now. Uh, they have wanted to put more of an emphasis on the Jewish side of this. And this is why the, the nation state law of the Jewish people was passed a couple years ago. That was an early indication of just how yes. much the right was trying to, to uh, bring a balance to this. Whereas on the left, uh, I've even heard uh, some of the, the say merits or other uh, members of the left, uh, the uh, liberal parties in Israel, they say I'm a citizen of the world first, and then I'm a a, 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 a citizen of Israel. That the, this whole uh, what we call the scandal of particularity, that to to say you know I'm Jewish first, and then I'm this or that. They they want a you know they have an idealistic view of democracy it's very liberal it's very pluralistic yes yes i think so we started this conversation by saying that you know 80 percent of israelis agree on all policy issues okay that's basically because everything be the right one on all the issues so on the economic issues, the beginning of the state, the right, right and left was, was determined based on economic issues. You had the big kibbutz movements, which were very socialist and, and communal. And that, that was David Ben-Gurion's party that, that would, we would consider that be the left today, very socialist. Uh, and then the right was more the free market, you know, Zionist. At the end of the day, the free market people won, and and kind of their their crowning event was was when Bibi Netanyahu became, uh, you know, minister of finance. Uh, under uh, under Sharon. 2002 or so. Yeah. 2002. And he pushed through all these reforms and he broke up the big government monopolies and he created a free market. And he, you know, and, and so, and nobody even on the, the quote unquote left today would, would, is, is still in the, you know, far socialist camp. Like they, everybody says they believe in free market today. So that, 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 so the right one. And then if you look in the, in, in, in the, it was the, the, the peace camp against the, the hawkish camp and do we want uh, to create a palestinian land should we do land for peace should a palestinian uh, state be created the oslo accords etc again the right one 80 percent now are kind of saying, okay 
we don't we don't really want a Palestinian state because every time we give away land, they're shooting more rockets at us from that land. And you know, today it's Abbas and tomorrow it's Hamas, and that could be a, a you know an existential threat to us. At the same time, we don't just want to annex everybody and take responsibility for several million Palestinians who don't want our, our administration. So let's give the Palestinians the highest amount of autonomy as possible while we're while we're managing the uh, the conflict without declaring a, a state for all intents and purposes, like 80% of Israelis would agree to that, okay? So, so basically, if the right won, both on the economic issues and then on the, the, the peace issues, uh, what, what is left to fight about, right? And, and what you're seeing now is, is it's, it's the issues of religion and state. Like that's, that, like for, for instance, the reason that we went through, you know, four elections in five years was because of Victor Liverman did not join the Likud and, and Haredi uh, government in, I think it was 2017. Um, and it was like, I think, I think maybe the coin dropped and they understood, well, the, the, right, the right one on, on all these issues. So why am I sitting with these ultra-religious in the same government when the people who are voting for me want to eat pork and, and, and drive cars on, on Shabbat, right? <laughs> so either these are, these are not my people. And so that actually threw our political system into, you know, a, well, the rest is history. But so those, these are the hot topics now. And this will define the Israeli political system moving forward, I think, uh, particularly uh, in the post Netanyahu era, uh, right now they can still argue, can't, yes, Bibi, no Bibi, but you know, and you know, may God give him a long life, and he might be with us for many more years. I, I don't know, but but that that's where we're heading. I think these are going to be the big issues. The balance between uh, religion and state is uh, that's where everything you know, those are the big issues of our day. I think that those were terrific uh, insights, uh, Caleb. That. Uh, um, uh, we have a lot of agreement on this. I wrote a piece, I guess, about a year and a half, two years ago, where it was clear BB had lost one of the recent elections, and uh, it wasn't quite, you know, writing uh, uh, his epithet, but it was a piece I did called uh, The Knock on BB and how the left hates him for destroying the dream of a, their, their dream of a perfect socialist state by the free market being the free market champion destroying their dream of peace by you know a, a sort of slowing down Oslo in the mid 90s and now uh, all that's left is their beautiful liberal democracy and this is why the left hates him so much and you hit all three of those on the head here so there's a lot of agreement between us I, I want to um uh, start wrapping up here by bringing in uh, President Isaac Herzog, who we've had a good relationship with him. He was a member of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. When he first got into the Knesset, he was very good to us as Minister of Tourism, came to our feast and spoke. And, uh, and then as uh, chairman of the Jewish Agency, we've seen this guy in action. He was very, very friendly, warm, and cooperative at the Jewish Agency. And and thanking us and other Christians for all the help with Aliyah that they do, bringing Jews back to Israel. And now as president, he, he seems to have a good sense of the office. His father was president. Uh, he has a sense of national responsibility. He's playing this figurehead role to always try and keep the peace. What role does he have in this? And is he, he going to step in now and help help work out some sort of compromise on what these uh, shape these judicial reforms should take. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the president in Israel basically has two executive powers, and that's, you know, after elections are finished and he, the, 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 the votes are, you know, counted and, and tallied up, he, he, he decides who should get the first shot at, you know, putting together a coalition government. And so that, that's, the main, that's the main executive power he has. Besides that, uh, uh, they also have, uh, he also has power to pardon people. Uh, um, criminals uh, judicially, like the presidential pardons in the United States. So, um, so I, I would. So, what effect will he really have, kind of at the very practical executive level in this uh, on this issue? Yeah, it, I, I think because he is a public figurehead, you you I think correctly compared him to let's say the, the king or queen. <laughs> In, in Great Britain, although he wouldn't have that type of, you know, uh, old wealth or high net worth, uh, you know, uh, wealth with name, but a public figure that, you know, everybody respects that, you know, is, is ceremonial and so on and so forth. I think right now he's doing everything he can to kind of, uh, uh, kind of bring the, the, the flames down and uh, in the public discourse and, and create more understanding and so on and so forth. So I think he could be uh, like an arbiter in this situation, uh, to, but it's to the extent that that, uh, that both sides re um, respect or recognize him in that position because he doesn't have any you know authority by law uh, to do that. Um, but he is a very fair-minded person who definitely has uh, public trust, and so I, I think he could be helpful at, at creating more discourse. I'm seeing, by the way, some positive. Um, developments where you know even uh you know members of Knesset from Bibi's party are saying well we we should listen to what the opposition is saying and and maybe we need to temper a little bit you know the the the, the various clauses of the, of the reform and try to come up with something that has a broader consensus i think they're they're they're, they're looking at all the people who are out you know protesting in the streets and saying well let's let's do this as much as we can within political discourse and not just you know so it, so it doesn't feel like they're just steamrolling the system. They could. I mean, they have a clear, you know, 64 out of 120 seat majority uh, that, that's very, very um, cohesive ideologically. And so they, they could just push us through without listening to the opposition. But, but I think they want more of a conversation uh, in order uh, for the public to feel more comfortable about what's happening. So I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear those voices. David Bitan is, is somebody who said that uh, recently on, on, on the radio. And there are other voices like that of members of Knesset from the Likud. Donnie Danone said that. I heard him on the radio yesterday. You know, our former ambassador to the United Nations. That we need to talk about this with the left. Talk about it with the opposition. Listen to what they're saying. Take it into um, you know, consideration before we, we make the final decision. And I would, I would just say to um, anyone out there who's watching, you know, all of our viewers who are watching what's happening, I would say the most important thing is just to wait and see what the final result is, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think, like, you know, I think both of us would agree, David, that, you know, none of these these reforms are talking about which are going to destroy Israel's democracy. But we're not even sure exactly what is going to be the final result of this whole process, right? So let's wait and see. And, you know, not... You mentioned people say, oh, you know, this is going to ruin the investments in foreign companies in Israel. I, I don't think so. And, and certainly not before you, you see what the final result is. You know, let's let's wait. Let's see. Uh, for those of you who, who pray, you know, for Israel, pray that, you know, our leaders will have wisdom. We know we need judicial reform. And so that the result of all this will be good. Good for Israel. Good for all the people of Israel. Good for minorities in Israel. 
Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's, you know, these are great questions, but there's still a lot up in the air until the, the final reforms are passed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I tell you, there's been the, the way this escalated so quickly and and the return of the uh, the black flag protests, I think they now call a black robe protests against BB and these reforms. It almost makes like uh, the three years of uh, uh, political uh, deadlock, all these elections almost makes it look like the good old days. But it's right. a lot of vitriol, a lot of heated rhetoric. But under for, underneath of it is a good, healthy debate you're saying about there is a need for judicial reform. Yes. Yeah. And I think uh, you've been very helpful in, in uh, reminding us and, and uh, establishing that Israel is a democracy. And I think the one point about uh, professional uh, self-appointing their own you know, you have this problem, maybe the, all the skull and bones guys at Yale are pointing each other, you know, right. that, that I, I saw one report or several reports that there's no other Western democracy out there where the all the judges and lawyers appoint themselves as judges, that, right. that the, the, uh, nearly in every case, parliaments are much more involved or executive or, or executive branches much more involved. So, you know, Making a change here in Israel is not that big a deal, but the changes are needed. Uh, I think the problem some on the left have is that the guys who are in charge of this right now may not be the right ones to do it because BB is on trial for corruption. R.A. Derry, head of a, another major partner in the coalition, uh, is now having to step down uh, from a, as a cabinet minister because he just got uh, he just did a plea deal for tax right. evasion. Yeah. So, but um, I hope people are understanding the debate here. Israel is a vibrant democracy. Any closing thoughts on this? Yeah. Again, I would I would just say uh, um, I would sum it up by saying let's let's wait and see. Uh, like you said, Israel is is a, a a liberal Western thriving democracy that with strong rule of law. Uh, that needs some legal legal reforms. And uh, we're in that process right now. It's very heated. Uh, there are a lot of people on the in the anti-BB camp that uh, are very concerned that somehow this will be misused. Uh, it doesn't look like that's happening right now, but uh, let's let's pray that that, uh, that you know the process will 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 go through well. And at the end of the day, the result will be something that's that's good for Israel and good for all of Israel's citizens. So um, yeah, that, 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 that would be my summary, my summary to wait and, and, and hope and, and pray. Yeah. Okay. We want to thank, uh, Caleb Myers, an attorney with the uh, prominent Israeli law firm of Yehuda Rave, uh, and a good friend of the Christian embassy. We thank you for your time and your expertise, Caleb, and, uh, blessings to you and your family and, uh, and the wedding to come. Thank you and, very much. Uh, we just want to thank everyone again for tuning in for the week ICJ weekly webinar. It's been great to have you. I hope you learned a lot, got a lot out of this. Hope it helps you to pray for Israel and what they're going through uh, right now. But things are going to be good. God's hand is over this nation. I uh, just remind you next week, we'll be back with another weekly webinar on Thursday. 
We also have our global prayer gathering next Wednesday. Please join us then. We're going to be have a special one-hour global prayer gathering, praying in the Shamron. We're going to be up on a visit during our Envision Pastors and Leaders Conference up at REL University. They're hosting us for the afternoon, and we're going to pray to the Lord from the heart of uh, biblical ancient heartland from uh, the Samaria, the Shamron. And please join us then. Of course, uh, there's still time to join our online Envision uh, Pastors and Leaders Conference next week from Monday through Thursday, Possessing the Land of Promise. And final program note, please take a moment to remember uh, the victims and heroes of the Holocaust on Friday. It's uh, January 27th. It's International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Don't let it pass without uh, saying a prayer to the Lord for Israel, for the Jewish people, for those who lost loved ones, for Holocaust survivors, and really uh, even going online to read something about it or watch a, a movie about the Holocaust, a documentary or something to educate yourself better about this unique tragedy and how the Jewish people in the proof, the proof here in Israel, have overcome that. So we thank you and God bless you from Jerusalem.